0: Be nice if all the teams went out and played like swaggering dandies as the Hamlet do. An absolute humdinger from about 25 yards. Get in. Swaggering dandies. An absolute humdinger.
1: And welcome to Ford the Hamlet. I'm Ben, and I am joined as always by Hugo. Good afternoon. I'm also joined by Danny Mills.
2: Good afternoon, guys.
1: And uh, this week's guest, I'm very happy to say, is uh, Dulwich Hamlet, midfielder, winger. Let's go with both, yeah. shall we?
3: Lionel <laughs> How are you doing, guys?
1: Very well. How are you? How's your day?
3: Yeah, good, thank you. Um, just been playing all day uh, after finishing work with my five-year-old um, and just finished literally about 10, 15 minutes ago. She would not stop. You know, she <laughs> uses every little bit of time she can. So,
1: Are you homeschooling?
3: Uh, yes, um, I work in a school as as well as play football now. Um, but my fiance is like she's in a school as well, where she does maths, English, you know, French, all the, all the rest of it. So she takes over that role. Um, but she's pregnant, uh, eleven weeks to go, and she was up at four o'clock this morning. So I just thought, right, I'll take over and do it today. So, oh
1: my god, oh, I'm yeah. good, man, Appreciate you yeah. to fit this in to
3: be honest. No, that's fine. It's fine. No worries at all. Um,
1: so, for those who don't know, and actually, I know, like I know about patches of your career, including um, a certain goals scored at quite a big ground in Scotland, which is kind of folklore between quite a lot of us at the club. But um, can you just take us through your football career up to this point and how you ended up at uh, Don
3: Um Well, yeah, uh, starting off my football career um, at Derby County, um, young boy there, going through the ranks from fourteen to nineteen. Um, made a couple of appearances for the first team. And then, you know, as football goes, you get released, uh, which at that time you think it's the end of the world. And it's not, it's probably the best thing that happened to me in my career at that point. Um, I got let go. I went to Hereford, small little town, Um, you know, sleeping giant, to be honest, in in those years. And uh, started playing for them. I wasn't there for long because I ended up getting bought. Um, So that's when I went to Watford. I've been around the country a bit, probably up and down a few times. Um, but been at various clubs like Brentford, Huddersfield, Shrewsbury, uh, Rotherham before. I actually travelled up to um, Scotland to Motherwell, where probably the best four years of my football career and life in general. You know, just the place, the people, the football, just everything. It was it was amazing. You know, I was um, I was in get got got engaged up there. I had my little girl up there, so. You know, I'm proud, very proud to say that she's Scottish, and so is she. You know, so that's a that's a good thing that she's got from from being up there. Um, you know, she plays football, dual uh, citizenship, which is which is good. You know, um, and yeah, so it took me to uh, Motherwell, and I think I was 30 years old. Got offered a contract, but it just it was with lots of cuts and stuff. Um, and when, to be honest, it's a short career, so you have got to make as much as you can while you can. Uh, got to move to Plymouth Argyle. Um, after that, a bit of a weird couple of years, probably the, probably the last two, three years of my career was probably the worst, if I'm being honest, in terms of football. Um, but I, tried, I, I didn't take that home with me and, and I just got on with it. You know, I got like, never late, never disruptive, never questioned anything, just did what I was, uh, was asked of me, um, which led me to being released um, at 32 uh, and then basically stepping out of the professional game which is not a problem. I've had years in the game. This is football. There's younger talent coming through. So, you know, I'm, as a coach now and working in schools, uh, you know, I like to see the progression of kids, which if I had someone behind me at Dulwich, you know, Lewis White, um, Malik, you know, we had all these boys that I'm rooting for. You know, you might play my position. That's brilliant. But, you, you know, that's the next generation that you want to push through, you know, which eventually after Plymouth led me to Weymouth, you know, and then I scored a little tap-in against uh, Dolich. Um, <laughs> I think Danny was there that day. And, uh, I should yeah, have blocked and, it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was, it, it was that, that game that I actually, uh, I see the, the staff on the sideline after and shook hands and stuff. And I just, you know, whispered in, I think it was, uh, I think it was Junior's ear. I said, well, I'm local, you know. And then uh, I heard that, obviously, the club were trying to get hold of me that same day while I was in the changing room, but they couldn't. <laughs> um, and then I uh, made contact. I made contact with Gun Rose and Millsy saw me at a game, and he's like, "Are you double agent here or what?" Like, or, <laughs> I was like, "I'll let you know." <laughs> and then next minute, I'm there on the Thursday training, and you know, and up until COVID nineteen, you know, Dollychplay. So,
1: it's quite the journey, man. How is yeah. it? How is it? Um, like going from playing in the SPL to then playing in the Conference South.
3: Well, it's. I mean, I mean, the SPFL was brilliant. Loved it. The quality of football, the grounds that you play in, the players that you play against. You know, it's a it's a worldwide watch league, as much as not as much as the Premiership, but it is out there. You know, you see players getting moves from Scotland to different countries to the Premiership to the Championship. Um, so the quality was good. Um, the people that you worked with were top quality. You know, there's no. There's not there's not any difference between the, the national south and um, the Premiership in terms of personnel. When yeah, you might have a little bit of quality, a uh, bit a little bit of better quality. Um, but I was surprised how good, and that's just me being honest. I was surprised how good it was in the National League South, like the quality, because when I played against, come up against Millsy's team, because I met Millsy in the May before last year because we did our B license together, and. Um, when we played them for Weymouth, I was like, oh, this is going to be a long day. Because the way it started, the players that they had, the quality, I was like, wow, this is not, it's not just, you know, football. It's actually a good, good standard, you know, and it's something that I was enjoying being involved with.
1: Yeah, I think, it, um, I think that's the case for a lot of players who maybe haven't like, come the other way up the leagues. So when they drop down, they're all like massively surprised by the level. And particularly now that like, we, we spoke about this, um, I can't remember who we spoke about it with recently, but... The National League South now, like a quarter of the teams are full-time and then the National mm. League, I think all of them are full-time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The quality now, right down through the levels is, 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 is higher, like higher than it's ever been. Right.
3: Yeah, and, and that's what you need for, for the progression up into your League 2s, 1s, Championship and Premiership. You need that base to be able to progress players and send them on their journey. You know, if, if you are a football club, um, like Hamlet's got Great uh, area to work in with players that will come. Um, great fan base, you know that is always there every week cheering you on. It's a massive club in the league. Um, probably deserves to be higher than it is, but I think you know there's a process with everything that you know in in that time. As as Millsy will know that, and yourselves will know that you have to build that. And when you build it, it will it will just happen naturally.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I mean. Guys, as, as you know, this is uh, this is episode five of Home which It's our new series that um, we've been doing for a few weeks now. Grateful to Lionel for joining the chat. Um, and yeah, for, for this week, uh, we decided to ask our audience um, if they had any questions they wanted to ask us on the, any of the topics that we've covered up to this point or if they've got any questions which they've always wanted the answers to but they've never felt comfortable to ask or they've never been in a position to be able to ask. And some of them are really basic, like, but I think will be really useful for us to answer. And yeah. um, so I've got like a few here which we got sent on Instagram and on Twitter. Um, so I'm just going to kick us off. And it's a pretty simple one. Like I've, I've just mentioned it before I came on air, but there's a guy who's messaged us saying, and I, I, I've this has crossed my mind before because I own a similar item that I bought. Um, he's basically asked he's he bought the new. Um, Sierra Leone kit uh, I don't know if you guys have seen it but it's a really nice piece of kit he, he bought it um, white guy who lives in Peckham and then um, he cancelled the order because he didn't know he basically didn't feel comfortable wearing it around the area that he lives in which is Peckham which is um, a predominantly historically black community um, and he, he doesn't feel comfortable he mentions colonialism, um, racism in the UK so it's what do you guys think? Is he okay to wear that around Peckham and like represent essentially a country that he's not from, and in particular, a country which it suffers, has suffered as a result of colonialism? was
2: um, he? For me personally, there's absolutely nothing wrong with him wearing that shirt. Absolutely nothing wrong. At the end of the day, if you like it within international football, the majority of people bar of the country that you're in will buy shirts because they look nice they look at the shirt and they think I like that shirt they're not necessarily doing it because they support the country um, I think you look at um, Nigeria's kit in the last uh, World Cup unbelievable I wanted to buy that kit
3: yeah me too Yeah, you know what I mean yep. it was
2: unbelievable um, you know there have been some really nice kits Brazil always has nice kits and I don't think he should feel any way about wearing that kit um, I kind of get I kind of get where he's coming from a bit but at the end of the day it's a piece of clothing. And if you like the way it looks and you're comfortable wearing it, then go for it.
3: Yeah, definitely. I think it's, it's one of them. Like I say, this is like, like Millsy said, it's a piece of clothing that he's probably gone and worked hard for to earn his money to buy what he wants to buy. Who am I? Who, who are we to say, you can't wear that. You can't buy that. I think, I think what happens is like, he's talking about, um, colonialism and stuff like that. It's, it's very, very deep. You know, it's, you, you, you've seen a product, you like it. In my mind, I see the product, I like it, I buy it. I don't go that deep into it, you know, and I, I think he'd be, I personally think he'd be fine wearing the, um, the, the shirt or the kit, the whole kit. You know, he might be somebody that travels and likes going yeah. to different countries and yeah. seeing different cultures. Amazing, you know, so I don't think he should be, I don't think he should be defined by the shirt that he wears.
0: Yeah, I'd say it's, it's good that he's sort of been self-aware to to. Bring up some of these issues, but uh, yeah, really, at the, at the end of the day, it's it's sure. And if if he if he gets called out on that ever from someone in the street, it sounds like he's already sort of starting to think about the issues which he could then, you know, continue that conversation with people at, on his travels in the street in Peckham, wherever it may be. Um, worth saying too that obviously we've got a few connections to Sierra Leone, Dulat yeah. Chamlet, um, with. Junior caddies' kind of involvement with the uh, football federation over there over the years. You guys might be better informed on that than me. Um, Amber as well. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah. Thanks for your clear answers, guys. I mean, I, I think, yeah, I probably thought the same as well. But it's it's uh, reassuring to hear that everyone's kind of on the same page. I've got a Kenya kit. Um, it's really nice. It's like green. It's got like dark green stars around the collar. Um, so I'll, I'll wear that with pride next time. <laughs> um, <laughs>
3: Definitely, it's, it's, it's not something you should, you know, it's not something you should, it's a piece of clothing. Yes, it has got a symbol on it and it, it is of another country. But, you know, I've had shirts, I used to play for Derby County and wear a Forest shirt. You know, a lot of people would have given me abuse for that and I got abuse for that, you know. And I'm from Nottingham, but played for Derby because of what I was wearing. You know, it's, it's it's my choice. If I want to wear that, I will wear that. You know. Mm-hmm. So, and if there is any any repercussions to that, well, in that situation, let's educate each other. Let's not mm-hmm. you just give me the tyrant of all the abuse and not listen to my side. You know. So sometimes it's it's education there and then on the spot.
1: Yeah, yeah sure. Um, I've got a, a second one which I I really want to um, ask, and then I'll pass over to Hugo because he's got a couple which have um, sent in, but um. This is actually, I'll admit, this is from me. Um, and I've wondered this for a few years, like particularly in the areas that we that hang out in, in London and work and live. And it, to what extent do you, do you guys reckon it's okay for white people to adopt language that is has origins in the black community? And I'm talking like, I don't know, saying like Wagwan or like On Fleek or Sighting or all of that kind of stuff, like... That you hear white people adopt and start using in their own conversations. Have you guys got any thoughts
3: on that? Is that okay? Is it not? Um, my thoughts are my thoughts are stuff like if you were to say Waguan, well, it's like I'm thinking, oh, you might have connections to Jamaican, uh, to Jamaica. You you might have family members that are Jamaican that would naturally speak like Wa we read away you say, you know, that type of talk. I personally I wouldn't I personally wouldn't feel any type of way. I can potentially see why people may see it a different way and may react differently to it. But, I mean, it's, you know, it's not my language to say that you can't speak it. You know, it's just like me going, speaking Spanish or French. What, do I go there and I try and do it and then they react to me? Oh no, I've, you know, I'm learning a language. Do you know what I mean? So I'm not saying that's, uh, most, most words and things are made up from the streets. Do you know what I mean? So like, who who actually owns it do you know what i mean so i would i i wouldn't have any i wouldn't have any problems like that if you were to if if i could see that you was being cocky with it or trying to you know banter with a little bit of a dig then i'd be like excuse me you know we'd, we'd have to have a conversation that's how a person would would deal with it that's
1: interesting because we we had um and it makes total sense as well we had someone on uh twitter replied to us on that and said that if you go to any secondary school now in south london you'll get kids of all races using exactly the same language and you know including all of that language as well so it's clearly like prevalent at school now like every, everyone is using the same language basically
3: yeah i've I've been in um, secondary schools um, covering pe lessons of year 10s and year 11s and you know you've got turkish boys like Yo bro, you know all, all the, the the language and all that and they're not saying it in a bad way. That's just, you know, brought up in Hackney around the people that they're brought up with. It's just one of them things. It just happens. And like you say, when it's prevalent in the whole school, it's not just a section or, you know, it's it's one of them things that you tend to, you know, look at and sort of follow, you know, so it just becomes natural.
1: Yeah. You guys, have you guys got any thoughts on it? Like, not-
2: um, I, um... I'm similar with Lionel um, in the sense where and the guy that you mentioned on Twitter, where being from London, this is this is the language of like, like I said, the streets and kids in the schools. They they speak they speak like that. The only the only the only way that I will have a problem with this, right, or have an issue, is when you feel that people are speaking to you like that because you're black. If that makes sense,
3: mm, yeah, yeah.
2: And I've had that a lot. Not a lot, but I've had it, should I say, where someone will speak a certain way, all of a sudden they're speaking with you and their language changes. They might call you, I don't know, what's happening, brother? They might say something something for just just as an example. And that's when I find it a little bit well, you don't need to you don't need to feel that you have to speak like that towards me for for that reason does yeah. that make sense I totally understand it yeah so if you're someone that has maybe not necessarily been brought up in it and you speak like that but if if that's the language you've ad- adopted and that's the type of slang you use anyway on a daily basis and whatever then fine but i do find that sometimes people will tweak or change their language to speak mm. to, to, to black people if that makes you,
3: sense. You, yeah, I've, I've, I've been in situations where I felt that as well. I probably should have brought that up. It feels forced that like it, Yeah, it feels like, oh, wait, there's, there's a black guy. Oh, what are you saying, bro? Uh, yeah. Or, yeah. About, just met you. How are yeah. you? Nice to yeah, meet yeah. you. Oh, my name's Lionel. Nice to meet you. What do you do? You know, that's, that's a conversation, the route that you'd want to go down um, rather than, you know, just having the, oh, well, I'm assuming that you speak like this, so that's what I'm going to do. You know? You should never never assume that how people are because I could be the most well spoken person before you 've even yeah. spoken to me and you 're coming to me with "Are you right bro you 're saying you know all the rest so yeah, I think clear. in terms of a, a black and white answer i don 't think it 's a problem
2: to, to, mm. to, to be honest i't I wouldn 't say it 's a problem and i wouldn't i wouldn 't tell anyone to change the way they speak because of who they are, but if that's who if that 's you then, then then go for it but for me, it just becomes an issue when I feel that people are just changing
3: it for, for yeah. that reason. I understand that. Yeah, and it's, this is and this is good as well because we're we're having the conversation. It's like, I yeah. mean, Mills have just had that conversation there where he said that, and in my mind, it's like I've been in that situation. I've seen it, but you know, it's one of them things that you have to talk about, and this is why it's, this is the platform to do it.
1: I've just imagined, it. actually um, that I think the reason why I ended up putting this question down was because. I work in hospitality and a few months ago I had a customer come up to me who is really well spoken and white guy and he, he came up to me for his like morning drink and he said um blah, blah, brother mm-hmm. and it, re- it really like jarred me and I and I didn't yeah. really know why and, and I hadn't I couldn't really protest <clears throat> and why it annoyed me. Like did I think that like, was I annoyed at him for adopting someone else's way of speaking? Or was it made even worse? Because I know that he is from a very privileged white background, and yet he's adopting the language of someone who is, really isn't. It, it, it still doesn't really sit very well with me. Um, and so I, I, don't th- I, wasn't, I wasn't really happy with him using that. But again, it's not, it's not up to me to decide
2: uh, I think it's, you know, it's people's per- personal preference, I think. But, you know, like you said, I-, I I just don't think people should feel that they have to change or adapt just to maybe fit in with people or to be cool or things like that. you just got to be natural, just be who you are. And if people can't accept you for who who you are, then maybe they're just not for you. Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? It's quite a, an old cliche saying, but maybe they're just not, not, not for you. Um, if you're around a circle of friends and uh, you know that's the way you speak. That's the way you speak. But like I said, I wouldn't. I, sometimes I feel that in certain situations it can be a bit forced, and it then becomes a bit uncomfortable. Especially for a yeah. black person, you're thinking, mm, so do you want me now? To, do you expect me to speak like that? Yeah. yeah. Why do you expect me to speak like that? Where have you seen people speak like that? Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. So it's then it all then it then it goes even deeper where you're kind of tiring everyone with the same brush. And it's when yeah. you're when you look at say a black person on the street, you think, well they, they have they must be like that because that's what I see on friends yeah. or TV or this and that. Yep, yeah, yep, yeah, yep.
1: Yeah. yeah, that makes total sense. Hugo, have you got anything that you wanted to mention that we got
0: through? <clears throat> yeah, I've got a couple of questions. Um, one one of my own and also one that someone sent me this afternoon. Um, just on that last point, I think you both raised something really interesting is that sort of amazing thing about language is that it is organic and that it does kind of grow out of the way that people speak to each other on the street or in their own communities and stuff. And obviously Britain is a multicultural country and the language that we speak today is a product of all of those different communities kind of blending and talking to each other and sort of developing over the years. So yeah, I think the sort of bottom line, as you've both said, is that If it's not forced, it's kind of okay. Um, mm-hmm. Like, yeah. if it comes naturally to speak that way, then fine. But it's sort of, if people are kind of changing the way that they speak to speak to you in certain situations, yeah, I can see why that would be a bit, so sort of make, make you feel uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've got a prime example of someone in our team like that, yeah,
2: you know, that it's just natural. And uh, Jack Connors, JC. JC mm-hmm. has been mm-hmm. brought up in London yeah and has been around that culture that's his natural language that's how he mm-hmm. speaks and from and i've known jc for for a, for a long time now obviously from uh, when we was at ebsfleet and that, and that, that's the way he speaks and it's, it's that's he's, he's from london he's from
3: uh, london he's been brought up with that and and that's how he is right when when you speak to JC, it's it's not forced It's no. not his point I've had so many In-depth conversations With him about Various yeah. things to do With work Football uh, After football This that course the rest And it is just natural It's not over the top It's not mm. Oh I'm trying it It is just natural That's how he is That's how he speaks So I, I'm like Right cool That's you You know That's how you speak Brilliant He doesn't change it And go and speak to Mills And be like Oh hi Mills Are you okay he, You know He's the same with everybody You know yeah. So like, like Mills is saying Don't change for anyone, just be you. And that is a prime example of it.
0: Yeah, absolutely, I, I've, I've interviewed Jack and I know that he speaks the same way as he does mm-hmm. in an interview, as he does when he's speaking to his teammates. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Natural, natural guy. Um, so I've got a question here from a guy called Charlie. He's a long time listener of the podcast. Um, and he says, I'm intrigued to get thoughts firstly on how the conversation is sustained and how we avoid it just being a pre-season discussion that will pass. So obviously we've been having a lot of chats in the last few weeks, um, and that's great. But how do we keep that going? And when football starts back up again, how do we
3: kind of keep them at this sort of momentum? Um, I've, I mean, like you're saying there, it's a massive. While saying that and talking about the preseason, it's not. It's basically just a fad, right? We have to do this. Let's speak about it. It's done. You know, I've been in. I've been in. Uh, Teams where we've been sitting there, and the person that's speaking is a black man, and we've got black players, and we've got white players, uh, we've got foreign players. And it's like, I think it's the conversation when you're having, when the conversation comes up, because that person, that speaker is being so real about his experiences and things that he's seen and, and what he's supposed to talk about. I think people, they do just see it as a preseason, we have to do this because it's, it's, it has to be done. We're sitting here for an hour and then we go and it's whatever. You know, I've sat there and I've felt, as this person's speaking, I felt uncomfortable myself, but I know other people have felt uncomfortable. And it's always the point of something bad has to happen for something to happen. You know what I mean? And a lot of people don't like talking about races and cultures and everything else because they feel they might come across as racist. Like, why? Because we're talking about something. Like I'm one of these, I will sit down with anybody and have a conversation about race. It's not a problem because we're conversating. We're educating each other. I don't know all the, the answers and I'm still learning myself, but I can give you some and you can give me some. You know, So it's a conversation that needs to be you know, took on much longer, a lot more education, especially when it comes to going into clubs and stuff because we as role models, every single person in that club that are uh, playing at football or any sport are role models, whether they're black, white you know, Bengali, Pakistani, they are role models, you know, so I think a lot of people need to probably not worry about the conversation that they could potentially have with someone. I think they should just be open and speak about the situation, you know, about the, the different races, cultures, and everything else that goes along with it.
2: Yeah, um, I, I, agree with, I agree with Lionel, and, and, mm-hmm. and I also think that for us as sort of, of black people, um, this is a part of our lives, so there's no, there's no time off if that makes sense. this yeah. is this, this is an everyday thing, and I think that in order to keep it going, people need to kind of adopt it in their lives and kind of make it a part of your lives to you know we, 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 we talk about equality a lot, don't we? We talk about having equality a lot, and unfortunately it's an ongoing battle day in and day out. Um, and I think that through through this platform, I'd like to think that we're gonna give people a lot of education tools, which they can then go out and help, help educate themselves. You know, we can't, you know, you can't necessarily do everything for people. You have to then trust people to go out into the real world and adopt what we're doing, what we're, what we're saying, or, or mm-hmm. at least heeding some of the advice. You know, we could do seven, eight, nine, ten 10 shows. Not, you know, not, not every single person that listens is gonna, is gonna take mm-hmm the same thing um, but what I what, what I do think is it's up to those individuals now to say right I've listened to the information on a platform which I'm familiar with now what now what now what can I do I've <coughs> you know I've been told about education right how am I going to educate myself what shows can I watch what books can I read yeah. now I'm going to take it out into the world and say right this is how I'm going to keep this going and affect and, and change
1: I'm really glad you said that because I think this. I think the way that this is taken forward, and the way that momentum is kept, is that people have to take responsibility to make room in their daily lives to continue the conversation. Like it has to almost become a hobby. Like you, yeah. you, you actually want to contribute to this and actually keep it going, rather than it just being a fad. Like you guys have, have said, yeah, you need to make space in your life to watch something like every evening, or to make sure you read a book a week, or like and just keep engaged with it because. There's no point relying on someone else to take it forward. And then you think yeah. you can kind of contribute or you can like dip in. Yeah. It has yeah. to be like, people have to take responsibility.
2: Definitely. And you have to fully immerse yourself into it. It's quite easy to look the other way or bury your head in the sand. But these problems at at this very moment in time are not going away. Clearly they're not going away and they're not going to go away unless everyone educates themselves and tries to and tries to help everyone needs to to be at the forefront here. It can't just be black people at the forefront. It needs to be everyone against against racism.
1: There will be people who you know there'll be loads of people who won't make that sacrifice, who won't give their time over to keeping this going, who will post something on social media and say they're supporting BLM or say that they're supporting greater equality or you know supporting anti-racism stuff in football or whatever. But they they won't actually do it and and so what what would you what would you say to them, the, the people who won't who aren't interested in taking responsibility and who are just kind of willing to let someone else do it? I
3: think I think in that situation you never know who is willing to do something and who is not, especially if they're behind a the computer screen writing a, a message out on Twitter, or Instagram, or whatever. They're behind a the computer screen, like so they can say that. But how how do we as as people make people? do something do you know what I mean like it's easy to write messages and leave pictures and this and that in, in what you believe in but like if you're not willing to do something from the other side of this computer like, i.e going out of that door and going to a library like Mills is said and reading a book or asking questions you know try and just try and get the get the basis of what is that what people are trying to say you know, why is this happening? Right, this is happening because of this person and this person. But it's not just that. It goes back years and years and years. So I think it's just trying to somehow, the people that are putting out, yep, uh, Black Lives Matter pictures and, and that's it. It's somehow trying to get hold of them and, you know, telling them to go on that journey of, why don't you find out? If you're four, why don't you find out why this happens or what, you know, what happens and when this happened?
0: Thank you, guys. Yeah, I think that's a that's a really constructive answer about how we can sort of keep this going. Um, my question uh, sort of relates to to both of you specifically. Um, you have both mentioned uh, the, the coaching qualification that you did, and Rosie, am I right in saying that Aaron McLean was on that as well? Yeah, yep. yeah, was on yeah. it as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, and this week, um, the FA and the PFA were kind of putting out some some. Uh, information that they're going to try and launch a sort of new initiative to try and address the fact that there are limited opportunities for Black um, Asian coaches in the game. Um, I was just wondering, from your point of view, obviously you've you've done this qualification now, and do you see do you see that there are limited opportunities, and if if there are, how do, how do we sort of go go about countering that? Honestly, um
2: there's on our course line there was a lot of <coughs> of black um yeah there was a lot of black course it was a
3: good yeah, it was mix a good, it there was, was a good mix yeah. yeah it wasn't more of one race than the other it was like a good mix you know which was really good um so yeah sorry mate no nah, yeah it was a good mix it was a good balance to be fair
2: um which was which was really good and you kind of come away from it and you think well i came away from it and i think if this is just one course at one point of the year, they maybe do two or three a year, um, and that's just the PFA one. There's obviously the FA ones that they run as well. So, coaches are going on these courses. I don't actually think that's the problem. I think coaches, uh, you know, black coaches, Asian minor, like everyone, like people go on these on these courses. People have the qualifications. Now, the next step, like you were saying, is so. Where's when's the, where's the opportunity going to come? How is the opportunity going to come? Mm-hmm. And clearly, you know the stats and the the data shows that there is a problem there aren't enough you know black you know even minorities in 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 the game and how do you combat that well it's a difficult one because Mm. in football as you know Lionel will know everyone looks after their mates so you know it's that it's that culture where say Lionel was played with a played under a manager or with a player that gets a job and Lionel might get the opportunity because he's his mate. Yeah. Um, now, in terms of getting into it, it's a difficult one because I look at it where I don't want to just be given a job because I'm black. I want to be given a job because I'm good enough.
3: That's that's exactly
2: what I was going to say. And I and I've yeah. said the um, I said it in I think in my in my show where I don't want you, you don't want to be <clears throat> you don't want to be seen be seen people to see colour you want people to see the individual is he good enough for the job can he can he do a good enough job unfortunately there's obviously a lot of biases out there where at the moment you have you have black managers not even getting in the door not even getting an interview they might get an interview they might not go further and um I think it's the topic on on the PFA the FA's mind like how how are they gonna how are they gonna do it and to, to, to be honest it's, 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 re- it's a really tough question it's a really tough yeah. question. I know they've spoken about the Rooney rule and things like that, but it's a really it's a really tough one
3: I, I think um, I'm with you there it's like you say if you 've got a friend that you know everybody's got a friend that can can help them out that's how you get in the door and sometimes that's what's needed like because once you 're in the door, what are you showing that is good enough for people around you <clears throat> upstairs you know the people that own certain businesses and stuff what are you showing that says to them, actually, you know, rather than not just colour, what you can do. Because I've never, I've always thought about football coach. I've seen so many coaches and, you know, the Sol Campbell situation with the, when you look at Gerard and Lampard, it's like, how does one and two get to where they are now in a short space of time? And this man has been working. Like, I personally go off the view that if you're good enough, just like I used to get told, I'm small, Do you know what I mean? I'm small and five foot seven. And um, people say, "Oh yeah, but it's small, yeah but I'm good enough and that 's what an academy director told me Is it, like if you 're good enough, if you 're good enough, you 're big enough no, so if you 're good enough at your job, then i'm going to choose you because you're the best, regardless of whatever color or race you are and I think it's with the with the rules, the ruling rules, and everything that they're bringing out now it's it's easy to go and interview ten black uh coaches or Asian uh, minority ethnicities and free white people. And just go right well we've done 10 so we have filled mm. our quota that's cool we're going with x over here do you know what i mean so how, it's, it's one like I say it's a tough question mm. how do we get around this because it's just honest chats it might be people upstairs go i just don't want you working for me or it might just be what you've come to me with it's not what we're looking for or do you know what I mean? rather than mm. the color of your skin Mm. you know so or, or your religious beliefs you know i think you should do, i think they should base it off can you do the job yes you can go and get me to the premiership that's what i want regardless of what you look like
1: I'm glad, yeah. we, um, I'm glad we um we glad we uh talking about the rooney rule because i'm at the moment i'm reading um while well, i'm no longer talking to white people about race by am um, reny lodge which is mm. it's, it's really uh interesting it's a, incredibly insightful book on the history of race in the uk and she talks about the rooney rule um quite extensively and how it has actually had a massive impact in the states in nfl because they um because um i'm not like i'm fair with nfl i might get some of the terminology wrong but what i read is that Whereas previously they wouldn't have interviewed any black candidates, Mm -hmm. they were making sure that they ten out of ten candidates five were black. And Milsey, you were saying that you know I don't want to be hired or chosen because I'm black to fill a quota. I want to be chosen because I'm enough. So they would interview these five black candidates who they wouldn't have even included. Oh, Mm -hmm. yeah. And actually, they realised that these guys were brilliant at what they do and had the skills needed to nail the job. And so they started seeing, you know, they started giving the time to these black candidates. And before you know it, the NFL was awash with black coaches who were making mm-hmm. it the best of yeah. what they were doing. And I think the reason why that's not taken off here maybe is that I think maybe like because just geographically we're in such a small, like quite a close environment in the UK that like you guys say, like everyone knows everyone. So there's like an old managers club, right? And they all yeah. know Everyone gets a recommendation. Yeah, oh, yeah. Frank Lampard's doing his coaching badges. Get him in the door, will you? Yeah?
3: Yeah, Whereas yeah.
1: in the NFL, maybe, maybe geography plays a big part in that there isn't that same mm-hmm. like, close knit club. So, yeah. in something like the Rooney Rule, and clubs in totally different areas of the country will think, okay, yeah, let's do it. There's no one in their ear saying, oh, I'll give my nephew a go, will you? So, yeah. I think maybe that's a, a problem that's specific to the UK and why the Rooney Rule hasn't taken off. Mm-hmm.
2: Probably. Yeah, and I, and I think it's a they, good example. Like you said, you know, they've, they've, they've given them an opportunity and because they've got their foot in the door. And that's, that's one of the hardest things, is getting your foot in the door, let alone getting the job. Okay. You just need to sit down in front of a board. That's the yeah. hardest thing. And, you know, once you can get that opportunity, then it should be down to the candidate if they're good enough. But clearly there is a problem. Clearly there is a problem. And, and even... Even if the candidate is getting interviewed, they're still not getting the jobs. And whether that's because they're not good enough, whether the board are looking at them thinking, not sure, you, you know, we, no one's going to point blank come out and say it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, look, I, I mean, I hope, I hope it changes. Like I said, there's, there's enough black, Asian, and, and ethnic minorities going on the courses. That's mm-hmm. a fact. I've seen it, me and Lionel have seen it for our, in a, with our own two, up two eyes. So, there's not a, I wouldn't say there's a lack of coaches. Mm-hmm. Uh, going through the qualifications, um, but yeah, like you said, I think in this country it's a, uh, it's who you know and who's mm-hmm. whose uncle is on that board and who's
0: <clears throat>
2: whose granddad done this and done that. And again, you're going, you, you know, you're stepping into another realm. There's no black people on boards. There's mm-hmm. there's, there's you've got what Les Ferdinand yeah. at, at QPR, and that's 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 pretty much it. So. Um like hope I want there to be change. I think, you know, we just gotta keep fighting for it and what the PFA, you know, they're coming up with different initiatives um to obviously get people in, in the door and you know, you just need to get that opportunity. That's all it's that's all it's about, really, is can I can I
3: get an opportunity to show what I can do? If I'm not good enough, fair enough, I'm just not good enough. That's it. You you hold your hands up if you go in somewhere and you set out your presentation and you know it's not gone well and they will, you know, they give you I will give you the call. You don't get the call is what it is you learn from that experience regardless of your race you learn what did I not do what did I not prepare because obviously something wasn't good enough hence why somebody else got the job you know so like I said just don't want it to be right like you say five white people and five black people in the NFL I don't want it to be right well we'll get we'll get Lionel we'll get Millsy and and then we'll get you know because it it fills a quota
1: so how do you think we go how do you think they could go forward on that? Like how do how do they improve it? Because we can sit here and say, you know, we hope it changes and that yeah. coaches are going into the system and they've got the skills to do it, but then there's a brick wall. So what 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 do you think needs to happen? Like does it need to be like systemic change from the FA or can like a, a club board just make it a priority to implement the Rooney, Rooney rule themselves, even though it's not actually a directive?
3: Yeah, that that that's it as well. I mean, like because the FA is saying we're going to bring in this rule, and the PFA is saying we're going to bring in this rule. Now, there's pressure put on this chairman that's put in fifty million over the last five years of his money, at trying to get the club somewhere that he might he might not be thinking about a race. He's just thinking about getting the job done. So, can you have one organisation telling another organisation what to do? Like, it's it's tough. I think. I think the door, from from the point of views of people owning clubs and you know pumping in their money, and that, I think it just needs to be left ajar for um, BAME coaches and managers to just tr- try and get through the door. Because you know, there's been so many situations where, like I say, the Sol Campbell one for me is, is just mind-blowing how he worked and worked and worked and worked and worked. And, worked, and then, unfortunately, the last two jobs he's had because of You know, financial problems there and financial now financial problems because of COVID nineteen hasn't worked out. But like, I look at his route and think, what will he do now? Where will his opportunity be? And realistically, I should be thinking about myself. You know, I'm 32 years old. I'm a coach. I still want to play, but if I have to go into a coaching role and stuff, I'm I'm like I wrote a list down of clubs that I can ring up. You know, Donalich is still on there. You know, to give them a call to see will you let me through the door? I sent two. I sent one to the conference, one to League One. Will you let me through the door? I know these people personally, like Millsy says, sometimes you know someone, they could do you a favour. They could not. So all, all you're asking for is the opportunity, the, the, the door being ajar, just a little bit.
1: Yes, um, I guess that's, all, that's what you can really hope for. I think the, I think the interesting one would be Ashley Cole because I, I get the feeling like he's doing some really good things with the Chelsea like under-16s or something. So maybe that's going to be the next one that you keep an eye on and you wonder whether or not he's going to get a chance. Because if he's going to nail it with the under-16s and then all of a sudden the door's blocked, like, is he going to have to do what Sol Campbell did and like drop down to League 2 or something? Whereas, you know, Steve Gerald can do, I don't know, 18 months in the Liverpool Academy and then walk in at Ibrox.
3: And, and, and that's the problem. I mean, I don't, I don't think it's... I mean, if, if Ashley Cole was to go from under-16s to a first team, I'd be questioning that. I'd be going, what's happening there then? I'm coaching on the tens and on a Wednesday and on the nines on a Saturday, so surely I can get in at the conference. Do you not know I mean it's? It's and like I say with Lampard and Gerrard, that situation there is. Yes, Lampard uh, Gerrard working with the 18s at Liverpool. Yes, we know who he is, and he gets one of the biggest jobs in the country. You know that has got a history of, you know, being at the top. You know, um, and Lampard goes to. I'm not sure what he was doing. Uh, after he retired, but goes to Chelsea for uh, goes to Derby for under a year, you know, makes the playoffs. Yeah, brilliant. Is is that enough? Is that enough of a base to go right now? You're the manager of um, Chelsea, or is it you're at right, Abramovich? Yeah, I'm. I'm a, I'm a manager. You know, played for you. I've done for you. I've won this and that. Let's. Yep. What's happening? You know, and then that that takes another friend in Lampard, Jody Morris, and so on. You know.
1: Yeah. Um. I wanted to before we like finish up in like I don't know twenty minutes or something like I wanted to, and we all were actually quite interested in in speaking to you about um, your experiences of being um, part of a family where there are two, two, two races, mixed race family. Mm-hmm. Like, if you, I've, I've I've read a few things on this over the last few weeks. On that, there are like specific like difficulties growing up in a in a mixed race household. And do, I wanted to, like, if you're happy to speak, speak about it, I think we were just quite interested to know, like how, like, how aware of it were you when you were growing up and, like, did it cause, like, different difficulties when you were growing up than it would if you were from a, a single-race family or, you know, did it lead to any problems at school or, like, what was your experience of it? And even now, to be honest.
3: Yeah, um, my experience really was uh, my mom who's white, uh, dad who's black. Um, my dad wasn't around. And, uh, you know, it's not unfair to say that he wasn't around. Um And I don't... I mean, I was one of them kids that never wanted for anything. So I never used to worry about asking for things whereas my brother and sister would get. Uh But I, it, it it must have... Been, I think it affected me in some ways, like knowing that I was different. Like, I looked at my mom. My mom's white and I'm brown. Why is this? Do you know what I mean? And then it's not until... I got a little bit older that I felt like people were looking at me differently. You know, I I'd witnessed my walking down the street with my mom, come back from the doctor, I think it was. And, uh, someone shouting out over the road, you know, you lover. Like, cause she's holding my hand. Do you know what I mean? And I'm, I must've been about eight or nine, you know? And then it, it it's like, what, what happened there, mom? Like, and obviously she's not explaining So she's not, maybe she should have told me at that point that, this is something that happens, you know, because I and then I would be in situations where I'd go to school and in my school in Nottingham, multicultural, no problems at all. Uh, I went to school in Derby and I noticed that a lot of people looked at me so differently. And I thought because I was playing for Derby at the time, I thought it was because of that. But it wasn't It was because I was one of five, one of four black people in the whole school. And there was one um, Asian girl. And I could, see, I could see and I could feel, and I had comments made about the color of my skin. And, you know, not, not on a daily basis, but it would happen. And it would it's, it's that, it affected me in school times, like that time, definitely, um, where it's something that I didn't think I'd have to deal with. I just thought I was going to a school, new school, playing for Derby County, brilliant. But then I see the area as I grew up that I was living in, in that specific uh, town, that it was different and I was different. You know, you, you, you walk in, like Mills said, you walk into a shop and you are looked at differently security guards following you around. Why? <laughs> you know, I've been, I've, I was paid a hundred pound at 14 years old a week to play foot Do you know what I mean? So it's, I've got the money to do. It. I know you don't know that, but why are you following me around the shop? Why are you looking at me in this type of way? Like, I don't, I don't like that. You know, um, I remember when I signed for Watford and it was my biggest, biggest like payday. Um, <clears throat> and I went into a shop. I never used to carry a bank card because I was like, no, just in case it gets declined or whatever. And I've gone into a shop and i walked in the shop and I've seen the way the man has looked at me. Like I'm I'm wearing all black. I've walked in, it's like you can buy Ralph Lorenz and stuff like that. And the way the man looked at me affected me within five or 10 seconds that I knew he was looking at me. And it's, for some reason, I felt him thinking, what am I doing in the shop? Why are you in the shop? You know, and I'm like, I shouldn't be feeling this. But my reaction to it was, right, I'll buy 10 of these. I'll have that, 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 just to show you that you can't affect me. You know, in, in, in hindsight, like, it's probably, you know, I won't do it now, let's put it that way. Um, but I just did it. And I, I, I just felt the way that I was received from walking in the shop within 10 seconds. You know, and I, I do believe I felt it was about the colour of my skin. You know, um, there's, there's so many, there's a situation where I've been pulled over by the police. For no reason. I've been out of my car, walking in my house, the police have pulled up saying we're pulling you over. Why? Because I've got a nice car. Like, I've worked for my nice car. Like, but they're looking at, oh, looks like a young boy, mixed race. What, what's he doing to get that? You know, mm-hmm. Asking me questions. Why am I being made to feel any type of way when I'm running around doing what I'm doing, earning my money? You know, so there's, there's, there's situations where it has affected me. Probably as I've got older, I've got wiser. And I look at things in a different way because back in the day I'd be I'd be quick to bam I would, you say something bam we're going it's off you know what I mean whether I'm giving you abuse back or we're scrapping you know what I mean that's how I would be um, but now as I've got older and wiser I've got my little girl that I've got to educate along the way um, and make her know about every type of race people everything you know so that effect from what I've, the effects I've had in my life I will now give my daughter the best education I can going forward regarding races and cultures and, you know, um, little people, disabled people, mental health, physical, pro- you know, everything. Do
2: you know what line I've been really interested in this particular show? Just the mm-hmm. fact that, you know, you obviously come from a mixed race background and obviously, as you know, my wife is mixed race as well. Yep. So, you know, I've, I've heard many, you know, she's told me different stories and, and how she's been made to feel mainly at a younger age. Yeah. I, had a, I had a question about identity. So you grew up with your mum, who's obviously white, like you said. Um, did you have much contact with the, your dad's side of the family? Um, and if not, how are you kind? How of, how did you kind of identify yourself as? You know, there's always these questions with mixed race, and, and my wife has had it. Oh, do you see yourself more as black? Do you see yourself more as mm-hmm. white? Do you, this and that, this and that. But I'd just be really interested to see how you feel growing up. Uh, obviously, predominantly with your mum, and and were you made to feel that you had to pick a side? Were you made to feel that you
3: no, you're you're either with this or that? Mm-hmm. Um, not well. Obviously, father not being around, it was never, it was never I thought I was more black than white. Mm. I just used to say, I'm brown, I'm mixed race. Mm. That's, a, that's the color I am, I'm brown. <laughs> that's what it is. Um, maybe not, never, never on my mom's side would I ever like, she would she be like, all oh, right, well, you're, you're here, your dad isn't here, he doesn't care, the family doesn't care. It was like sometimes on the black side of my family, it would be like, I sort of felt that, that way. Like you are, like, I've got my mom's last name. I haven't got my dad's last name, but all my family on my dad's side are like, no, you're, you're a staff, you're a staff, you're a staff. And I'm like, are you trying to put that in my head to say that I am more of you than I am my mom, you know, because of disagreements and whatever. Like, and it's just, it was never, it's never one that it was put in my head or anything to feel like I was one more than the other. And -hmm. I just always used to say to myself, I am a brown man, I'm a brown boy, I'm a brown kid, like that's me I'm half mm. black, I'm half white. I don't side with right my dad wasn't there, so I'm gonna be more white on my mum's side i I chose my path in that situation to go. I am a brown man, mum's white, dad's black, and that's there's nothing I can do about that. I was brought into the world now i'm gonna go and if I can potentially educate someone along the way, brilliant. I hope I don't have to you you, you never want to come into them situations where you might or be in a situation where someone else is receiving abuse where you might have to educate someone um, because a lot of people don't like to listen. So I just took it upon myself to be, be me, no, rather than, yep, I'm more my dad's, I'm more my mom's, you know?
2: I know you, um, you said you were very sort of passionate about the, the black lives matter movement and, and everything that's been sort of going on in the world. And you just speak about kind of your, your views on it. And, um, Sort of what? How do you do? You feel that there's a there's a positive energy that there's going to be change from it.
3: Yeah, it's it's a great movement. Um, It's like I was saying at the start of the the whole interview. It's it's sad because something bad has to happen for something to change. It's Mm -hmm. like sometimes when you've you've not seen your family for a long while, and it's a funeral that brings you back together because of someone's passing the family. Why does it have to be that? Um, The situation is. Before it all blew up, I see on a social media, so I see something out there and I see the situation and I looked at it and I'm like, this is shocking. This is unbelievable. What is happening? You've got people in the background saying, take your knee off his neck, take your knee off his neck. And it's four people, four officers there. No one's listening. You know, when just seeing that was shocking. The next day it went bam. And I was like, wow. Okay. So what I saw was because of this, because of what happened with this person and I see a, a clip of his daughter. I think is on his uh, brother's shoulders. And she... i get emotional now I think about it. <laughs> she, uh, she was on his shoulders and she said, Dad has changed the world. Do you know how powerful that is? And mm. it's sad because that little girl has had to go through that as much as her dad has. Mm. And now she's got to grow without her dad and face these challenges. So I hope for her that it is something amazing for him and his family to move forward and this Black Lives Matter movement, you know, doesn't stop. It can't stop until the education is there for everybody, you mm. know, to to be able to live freely. Mm. Just to live freely. It's brilliant,
2: man. It's brilliant. Brilliant. <sighs> and I suppose you obviously you know you're a father yourself and I suppose that's why you have more of a personal connection to what has happened you've got a daughter as well and um, I can I can see how why and how you can get so so emotional with it and I think just just seeing you now is this is all the emotion that that is coming from everyone Mm -hmm. this is the this is the emotion that's coming from everyone and and all the fathers out there with daughters and sons and and you know and, and and black you know black white Asia, like it, every, it, it's brought everyone together and it's really connected everyone and um, now I'm, I'm, I'm so happy that you was able to share that
3: And It's, it's you know. to one of them it's, I, I understand people do, I don't like violence for self, but I understand there's, there's a process of things that happened back in the day to black people sold as slaves you know, um, oppressed and I know every, the marches that are going on the peaceful marches and that, brilliant because that brings around education, that makes people watch, listen, take note. When it starts to get violent, I understand the violence because of everything that has happened back then. So I get it. That black people is oppressed. Some of the videos I've seen in historical things is shocking. Shouldn't happen to anybody. And this is why the generation now that grow up in, in the cities and areas that they do have the violence. Because it happened then. You can't expect something that happened bad then to change now you know someone's lost their life and what we should just go okay that, that officer gets put in prison and that's it people are gonna they have that narrative of right well that's what happened then so this is what we're gonna do now like I said I don't condone violence at all but the the, the peaceful marches and stuff like that that I've seen and I would have loved to have been a part a, a part of if I wasn't in a household that was vulnerable through COVID-19 um, I just think peaceful protest and getting your point of, view, uh, point of view across and trying to understand it and even myself trying to understand more things I just hope it goes such a, a long way.
1: I think just on that um, on the violence thing as well it's, it's been proven throughout history that if if someone isn't heard and they keep repeating themselves mm-hmm. again and again and again and every time they're not heard they will resort to violence like whether yeah. it's one person, whether it's a million people, if they don't feel like they're heard, eventually it gets to a point where the only way of getting yourself heard is to resort to violence to make a point. And yeah. when I was seeing on Twitter, like people saying this isn't going to help the movement, this isn't doing any good, and you know people were getting cut down for it, like when they were writing in the states, I was like, like, what do you expect to do at yeah. this point? Um, and yeah, the, the peaceful protests, I've been to quite a few in London, like some local ones around here, like Burgess Park and, and Peckham and Ryan and some up in Central as well. And the key thing about them is, you know, people say as well that they don't, they don't really have an impact, but they do because they raise awareness. So, so like someone sat at home, will see that being covered on BBC News, like no matter how it's being reported yeah. by, by the press, they will still see that footage and, and probably engage with the subject and actually realise that something's happening. But I think more than anything, just those pieces of protests are more useful just for raising awareness. And also what's been really interesting at those protests as well is how much of a cross race, like mix yeah. there's been. Like maybe not so much cross class, which is probably an issue in itself, you know, been people from um, majority of the, the same class really, but in terms of cross race, like it's been amazing to see the different phases in yeah. the protest, whereas before it, you probably wouldn't have seen such a mix.
3: Yes, mm. yeah definitely especially like when the riots were happening it was more it potentially from what i remember probably was more black people but like mm. you say now it's you know my mum and my sister went to a march in nottingham and my mum's white my sister's mixed race you know what i mean so even that there is like brilliant like my mum didn't mm. have to go along but she understands it she gets it and she did you know which was nice to see and it's like she said that it was peaceful um multicultural people out there all going for the same, uh, you know, rooting for the same cause.
0: Lionel, thank you so much for for sharing that. No it's no really, worries. really powerful. Um, and I think you, you sort of raised a really good point that, <clears throat> you know, it takes these like events in history to spark change. Mm-hmm. And obviously like we wish that George Floyd didn't have to die in the manner that yeah. he did and his yeah. daughter take on that burden mm-hmm. in the manner that it happened for this, yeah. this to carry on. I think <clears throat> there's been a bit of a debate in sort of British politics and in in the press this week about whether this is a moment or whether this is a movement, and you have yeah. people sort of writing it off as a moment. And I think that's so, that's so sort of disrespectful to not only to him and his family, yeah. but to the millions of people who've taken that on and mm-hmm. are trying to carry it forward because it clearly needs to be a movement in order for there to be any change. Definitely, um,
3: definitely. Yes. Yeah, that's that's one of the things. Like you say, a movement. So keep that movement going. Do it in the safest way possible because we don't want nobody else to come to harm. Um, and and like you say, just keeping it going. It's it's don't just let it. Like you say, be a moment. You know, because this is life. This is for the next generations and generations to come. You know, this will be for my kids, my kids' kids. You know, uh, when I'm older and I can explain to them that this happened and this is potentially why you're going through this now but, you know so it's all it's like i say once again it's all education and i think it has to be a movement it has to go that way
1: in terms of um, keeping the momentum i'm trying to relate it back to dulwich hamlet specifically and it also comes back to this um like the, when i say that the protests are like multiracial and a great mix of people unfortunately the crowd at dulwich is not like, that is something which we've been aware of for years, and it's something which we decided we wanted to speak about in these um recordings as well and we've actually had a few people get in touch um with questions uh asking us to have a conversation about what can we do to improve that and actually what is what is the root of there not being a good representation of the black and Asian minority communities at football games in general but specifically at Dulwich Hamlet is there is there you know a a one one like um, one thing that means that it is not an environment where those people don't feel welcome or is it a mix of different
3: things I I would I'll just jump in and I'd probably say people's choices you know is people like if if you've got Dulwich and you've got Millwall and you've got you know, Chelsea, Fulham and all the rest is, they might be like, right, well, I'm going to the Fulham game this week. That might just be what happens. Um, everybody at the ground might just be local. You know, people might go and do something different on a Saturday. They'll probably love to go, but they've got other commitments, you know, regardless of race. You know, like when, one thing I've noticed about the Dolich uh, Hamlets crowd is the, the brilliant crowd never once thought about oh, that's predominantly white or predominantly black. Never, not once, you know. And I think they show their support in coming to watch, especially a team like Dulwich that has got multiple black players and different ethnicities and um, religions, you know, and that crowd is there to watch them, their team. You know, everyone says, Dulwich, it's it's our team, it's our club, you know, and you feel that around the area. But um, I, I think it might just be people's choices. So I don't think there's anything there to be like, well, how can we get more black people in to watch, like because it might just fall on the day that they do something different, you know. Because a, a Tuesday night could be different to a Saturday afternoon, you could have more black people on a Tuesday night than more white people, you know. So, it's I think it's just one of them potential choices and whether they like the sport, you know. There's loads of different sports out there now that people decide to go and watch or decide to pursue.
1: I'm just thinking, you were speaking then that. Um, I, I, I read up a lot on football in England in the 70s and 80s and you know, how rife it was with homophobia, racism. Um, and I can't help but feel that the football environment as it was then would have been the environment that um, like people my age or like slightly younger or slightly older, their parents would have experienced football in, you know in that period and it would have been that kind of environment like not welcoming mm-hmm. um, you know incredibly um homophobic, incredibly racist and so maybe has that been passed down to people our age in ter- and i mean in terms of the black community i think minority community community like is that could that have an effect of why there isn't a good representation it might not be i'm just wonder- wondering now as we're talking um, I, f- I think i, f- I think but but i think, think- I think I'm gonna like respectfully not disagree, but I, th- I think there must be something because just because of the lack, like there's just because of the lack of black people at games.
2: I think uh, what well, I think there could be an element to what you're saying, Ben, in terms of that might might be passed down. But I think the generation now, especially in South London, I think a lot of the you know, especially the like maybe people like our age. I think if they wanted to go to a game, they, they'd maybe they would go to a game. But I think it's about accountability and responsibility. So like I said before, we've identified that there's not many black fans. So what are we going to do about it? What, I think you've got to look at it from the outside in and think, right, if I was a... Say I was a, I was a black man or woman or Asian man or woman, why would I come to Dulwich Hamlet? What is what is at Dulwich Hamlet that makes me feel comfortable and inclusive and things like that? Because all they're going to see... Potentially, all people are going to see is that the whole crowd's white. Let's just say that potentially. But what are what are, what are, you know what are we as a club doing? If we're saying that we want to have have more diversity within within the crowd, what what are we doing? Um, are we putting on community days at the club? Are we putting on um, you know are we are we doing like uh, something to do with the wind rush at the club? Do you know, just just anything. It's these initiatives and, and schemes that can be hosted at the football club to to attract people. And one, you know, one, two, three families might come, they tell friends, they tell friends, they tell friends, and then it grows. I think once they walk in the door, obviously the club's brilliant, like Lionel said, the fans mm-hmm. are are great, but how do we get those people into the door to feel? Are we putting maybe leaflets through the door to invite people to games? Are, you know,
3: what, 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 what are we doing? It's, it's stuff in the community that you have to do. You you can go in your local community, you've got local schools, you've got local colleges, people in the community that want to do and want to try and go to different things and do different things. So like Moses was saying, there, um, an open day of, you know, come along, have some fun and see what we're about as a club, as a whole, rather than just, you know, it's all, only white people go there, you know, or only mm. black people go there or only Asian people go there. You know, just they might need to be a little bit more from the club's point of view. Um, with regards to players not just because obviously players have to do things as well because it's it's their job to go into the community and raise that awareness that we are actually here and we are welcoming
1: what if um yeah, I get your points. But what like the club historically has done a lot in the community, like loads. Like that's one of the things. Mm-hmm. Like crowd has grown massively. Like it's been yeah. real. Now at this point in 2020, the club is right at the centre of its community. Like it's an incredible example of what a football club can be in England in 2020 like, at any level. Mm-hmm. So there have been these drives before, but what if I was to say that we, we've tr- we've tried to do that, or the club has tried to do that, but attendance. From the black community has been so low that it hasn't had any impact. Like, is that then because that is that just a representation of the local community? Like, where we are in East Dulwich is predominantly white. So is is, is that the yeah. driving factor? And so actually trying to like and and that leads me on to another question. Can you actually be specific and say this this community drive is for the black community? Mm. Can you actually can you actually like implement positive discrimination in a way and say like look. We want to increase attendance. Like this is for you.
2: I think you have to maybe broaden your horizons a bit. And like you said, a lot of the community stuff has been done in and around Dulwich Hamlet. There's a lot of there's a lot of surrounding areas of Dulwich which are not far. You've got you've got like Brixton. You've got uh, Peckham. Um, you know, you've got all these places which are which are really close to Dulwich. And I think it's just about widening the scope and saying, well, people are only ten minutes away, five minutes away we're inviting you to come to the club. Um, so I think it's just about, yeah, just broadening it really, broadening the radius, seeing Dulwich as bigger than Dulwich, if that makes sense. Um, because like you said, Dulwich is a, is a, is a predominantly um, a white area and the fan base does reflect the area of Dulwich. But what, what can we do in the slightly wider community and uh, um, neighboring communities to, to help um, bring that attendance up of sort of the black and ethnic minorities.
3: And this is what I've said about education, even myself there, I'm from Nottingham, I live in East London now, I didn't know the demographic of the area. So that's me learning something new. So that's me thinking now, okay, well maybe I can come back to you guys at a different point going, oh, why don't we suggest this? You know, so like Millsy says, sometimes you have to broaden your horizons and go a little bit further out.
1: Yeah. Um, we're, we're about on time I think lads, like that's been a really interesting chat and we've, we've run over by about five minutes probably but it doesn't really matter because I found that really interesting. I'm glad we covered those questions at the beginning because mm-hmm. like, stuff like that is so simple but the people who mm-hmm. ask those questions, like us being in a space where we'll be able to answer that for them is so, I hope, so valuable to them. Like, it was valuable to me and I hope that oh, definitely. whoever's listening or, or, or watching this will find it as valuable.
3: Definitely. No, I look. I look forward to watching it myself as well, because it's not. I'm passionate, about <clears throat> I'm passionate about things, and you know, it's uh, what you just witnessed from myself and Danny and yourself, and Ben, it, um, and you go. It's it's passion, you know. It's passion for what we look at and what we're trying to learn and what we're trying to do moving forward. So, you know, hopefully people can take something from it. This is, you know, coming from behind your keyboards to the people that just put up a picture or put up a quote. And, and trying to learn, learn more about situations, cultures, you know, diversity in general.
0: Yeah, thank you for joining us today, Lionel. It was really great chat. And, uh, no, thank yeah, you um, for having me. Yeah. Um, just all, all about keeping it going as we, as we keep discussing. Definitely.
1: Yeah, we've got um, plenty of people booked in as well, so this will just keep rolling and rolling. I'm glad to say. Um, listen, Danny and Hugo, do you want to stay on the line just for 10 minutes just to catch up because we haven't spoken a week? I mean, yeah. Then we probably go
3: over if you've got time. Um,
1: yeah, that's fine. Lionel, cheers yeah. man. Henry, Thank, you.
3: Let's say no Thank you. Cheers, Lionel. Take mate. care, mate Good nice to well. see uh, you appreciate, again I appreciate it. And I'll uh, see you all soon, hopefully. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. bye, bye.
0: bye. bye. Wait played like swaggering dandies as the handle. An absolute humdinger from about 25. Yards. Get it.